0: Hey there, welcome to the Spacemakers Podcast. I'm your host, Isabel Gates. If you're new, I'm going to ask you to stop what you're doing and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, which explains what this podcast is about, who it's for, all of that. we hate for anyone to get confused or not understand where we're coming from before diving into whatever episode interests them. Furthermore, if you're listening to this and haven't heard part one, feel free to go check out that one first. It's more of an interview between our special guest and I, and this is more of a response and discussion with the rest of the Spacemakers. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that you are being good and listening to all the podcast episodes in the order that I just said. And with no further ado, let's just go and get started with part two of the Gordon Ferguson episode featuring the Spacemakers. Zoom call, just kind of having a good time on their muted Zoom panels. Um, but now we want to open up the conversation and just further it by letting them respond and ask certain questions and vice versa. Um, so, once again, we have my good friends Alex Cameron, Janae Johnson, Rachel Gonzalez, Sebastian Buck, Megan Whitcomb, and my husband, Devin Gates. So let's just begin by kind of talking about what are y'all's thoughts after hearing what Grandpa Gordon has to say?
1: Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Gordon. That is weird for me. I'm also a Filipino woman. Call you by your first name. Usually we would call you uncle. That's good. Yeah. So thank you for coming and um, speaking to us. I really, I think something that I really appreciate is just the urgency, something that we've been having conversations with leaders and young people about is just the urgency of this. And I think it's hard for people to see that without, you know, they, they, I think they really call for like tangible evidence or they're like, how many people are actually leaving the church? Or I've gotten that question so many times. So I guess like, what can we do as we're kind of whistleblowing on this issue to kind of show that sense of urgency as well? because um, it seems like you've been doing that for the past few years and we're trying to do the same thing and for some reason we got met with it being pushed to the side or people not seeing the urgency of it
2: well as i've said i think you have to speak up but there are things like today okay so you've got this recorded and it's out there and so or it will be out there, and so once it is, then you need to ask specific people that you know, leaders or just older people that you respect, people that have influence, whether they are designated leaders or simply opinion leaders without a role, ask them to listen to it and say, please listen to it. And then after we're done, uh, after you're done, I'd love to talk with you about it, get your impressions see what you think uh, we're, we're going to have to push for a lot more communication a
3: whole lot more yeah I can jump in um firstly thank you so much I've been writing so many notes and my head is just spinning but it's so exciting to be able to have you engage with us and um yeah just to learn from your wisdom I really appreciate that a lot so I guess kind of one thing i know we've wrestled with is okay balancing truth and grace you know like it's one thing to highlight there's an issue or there's something we disagree with we find difficult but how do we do that you know in a gracious way or do you ever find yourself kind of in conflict of i need to be a little stronger on this or i need to be a little more patient on this cuz we want to promote change and and we don't we know that That's not done just by being upset and frustrated. And, you know, even those gear analogies were so helpful. Kind of gear three is not very effective at getting through to people. Um, So I guess how do you kind of use the judgment of I need to be more outspoken on this or "Hmm, I need to step back a little and give this some time or, you know, give someone, you know, more patience, if that makes sense.
2: Well, that's a wonderful question. I wish I had the answer to. Uh, Uh-oh. <laughs> because I've I've struggled with that same thing and I, I struggle with it now mm. I think one thing is when you can have discussions in pairs like two of you when you're talking to people you can sort of help each other with that and uh, it's good in a discussion actually if, if you have a disagreement with the two of you a little or one says, honey, you need to back off some here. Or, hey, well, wait a minute, I don't exactly agree with that. Here's the way I would put it. Some of that helps discussion of things where there are differences of opinion. Of opinion, uh, The other thing is, uh, I think, to do a lot of praying about it. And uh, just pray the Spirit would lead you. Because there are times when on purpose... Uh, I become gear two and a half for sure. Uh, I get more of an edge because I just feel like, hey, this thing's got to come to a head here. And so that, that to me is a lot of prayer and wisdom uh, asking for that. But there are times that may have to be there. And uh, I, I do know this. You can't manufacture this. But I do know that sometimes people being upset to the point of some tears rolling down their face, that does something to open up a heart of a listener uh, more than anything else. And I, I mean, I'm a cry guy. I, I'm not ashamed to cry. Me too. Uh, Jesus, Jesus did through the days of his life, not just John 11, but through the days of his life, Hebrews 5, with tears. So uh, I, I've been in talks before, and it was getting heated, et cetera, but, but it just hit me that this is so sad that that we can't really even feel for each other and listen to each other. And I've had times when I did have tears rolling down my cheeks, and it changed the whole conversation. As I say you can't manufacture that, but on the other hand, you can also decide not to hold it back and that you let that out. That's not a bad thing. So those are a couple of practicals that could help there, Alex. It's a, it's a challenge, and I've done it right, and I've done it wrong, and it's a learning process. And I expect if I continue to live, I'll do it wrong
3: again. Yeah, I love that. No, thank you. I think just vulnerability really touches people's willingness to, I mean, it helps me to relate to someone when they're vulnerable. Um, So thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I think there are situations where a certain type of being emotional is good. Like you're humbly just asking or saying, hey, this hurt me. This is how I feel. Um, because that could actually help you in your conversation and help somebody listen. But then there's like the kind of emotions that are, you know, more prideful, defensive, angry, the emotions that kind of like shut people out instead of inviting them in. And those make the conversations worse. So it's kind of weird that like emotions could help or harm your situation. I don't know.
2: That's tricky, isn't it? I think if you're, uh, maybe this would help. If you're talking about something that tends to be a bit more doctrinal in nature, and so you're studying something out in the Bible, et cetera, that to me is when, if you can stay very calm. When you're talking about other things uh, by way of application that affect lives, that people are feeling, Uh, that's in a realm that maybe more of your emotion can come out without hurting things. Anger, I know there's righteous indignation in the Bible. I know that Jesus had it. But I would just say that that's something that's very difficult uh, to control. Anger is. And so one thing that I try to think about if I'm feeling angry and I'm feeling that build up I try to think of, okay, why am I angry? Is this my deal? Is it about me? Is that why I'm angry? Because I feel like I'm not being viewed right or treated right or whatever. If it's a personal thing, it's probably gonna be the wrong kind of anger. If on the other hand, I'm feeling it for someone else, for a cause, for someone else, uh, defending them, I'm more likely to be able to have a bit more edge there for them because I'm not pleading my case. I'm pleading somebody else's case. I'm the old guy here. You tell me what you think we can do.
1: Um, I'll go again. <laughs> um, so I think something that I've noticed as a younger person, but also being in spaces with a lot of leadership, um, I know a few of us here are on our church staff Um, is that a lot of assumptions are made on both sides, right? And that goes without saying, because obviously there's a lack of very clear communication. So I guess like, how would we go about not just creating a space like we have here on the podcast, but creating like official church sanctioned spaces for these conversations to happen more frequently and more in like a sustainable way because I think a lot of the conversations happening right now is very reactionary right to like the culture to what young people are seeing on social media um to what the older generation perceives the younger generation seeing on social media like it's just right. a lot of assumptions all over the place and so I think how would we yeah what are the next steps because I think those spaces and the, and the power of storytelling is so important but I think it's just the lack of that that is causing our church to kind of go down this path rather than being proactive and um, engaging and then having official kind of forums and spaces so that what people can be heard and experiences can be heard. Um,
2: okay. That's good. Cause it yeah. gets, my, <laughs> my light bulbs start going off about something I can do. Usually it starts with an article, but, uh, I think we, we need to have a group of younger people like you. I mean, I could see churches having designated groups of younger people just get together with the leaders and say, here's what we think, bam, and then lay it out there and then have discussions. And uh, and you need to listen because there, there are going to be things discussed uh, when you're talking about culture and how much to adapt and how much not to adapt, you're going to get into some sensitive areas of discussion uh, that we're going to have different opinions about. And so I know with me, uh, Isabel's been great because anything that I brought up, I said, okay, here's what older people are going to be concerned about. Here's what I'm concerned about. And I've been very honest with her about that. She's remained very calm. There are other younger people that I've talked to that when I brought up something that they didn't agree with, that they were very quick to get defensive. That's a turnoff. That, you know, if you're not willing to discuss it open mindedly and open Bible, that's not a word for that. I, I made that one up. But with open Bible, if we're not willing to discuss it, uh, then, you know, we're cooking before we get started but the way that we hurt each other is to be defensive. And that's what some of you have run into talking to older people and talking to older leaders. They've gotten defensive. And so you're gonna have to just patiently keep talking and smile. (laughs) Makes them wonder what you're up to, but keep smiling and keep talking. And you're gonna have to help them lose the defensiveness, but that don't make them have to help you. You 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 beat it to the the jump here. You're the ones that are rocking the boat, so uh, rock it calmly with a smile, but stay in it. And if you feel like they're getting defensive, say it. Say, listen, I, I don't want to be disrespectful here, but. You know, I'm not feeling respected. I'm feeling like you're getting very defensive very quickly here. Uh, Help me understand what you're feeling. Uh, It's much better to not be accusatory and conclusory. I use that a lot in marriage counseling. Don't be conclusory. Don't come out with a conclusion. Uh, You're trying to have a discussion. And don't be accusatory. And so rather than saying, you're just defensive or you're just prideful, say, you know, right now this is coming across to me that uh, you're feeling threatened or something. I I, I don't understand it. Help me understand you, uh, what you're feeling. You know, when you ask for clarification rather than labeling someone, uh, then they're more likely to sort of calm down and be able to talk. And uh, that's an art
3: form takes a while to learn it but you will yeah i think that was so (laughs) so wise still i guess you you commented like kind of what what would we want to see um and i think the word that came to mind was trust um i I think that's you know leading in any capacity is a lot of responsibility And, and i think when i've kind of been in a role of leadership i'm like wow this is this is tough like you have decisions to make you have responsibility for your actions you're held accountable and i really you know respect leaders who they devote their lives to to shepherding you know us as a as a body as a movement um but i guess how how do you kind of find that balance of delegating and trusting and 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 willing to think you know what? I'm not exactly sure how this person with less experience might, you know, achieve this or, or, or kind of go about it. But I'm willing to trust them. Um, that's a hard balance, I think.
2: Yeah. Well, I think we've got to start with trusting each other's hearts or intentions. If we can trust that, then we can deal with the mistakes that are going to inevitably be made. Uh, you know, that's a, that's the a way you learn is you make some mistakes. So we have to trust uh, uh, intentions. You may not have as much trust in someone's experience, but if you trust their intentions, then when they do make a mistake, it's not going to freak you out and you realize, okay, that's a part of it. I When mean, you look at the apostles, uh, you know, sometimes People get all concerned about, okay, young people are going to make mistakes. And I said, yeah, I expect they will. Jesus had two apostles that wanted to burn down a whole city. So, yeah, uh, they needed some continual training, and Jesus gave it to them in no uncertain terms. But, you know, he just recognized they're young, and they've got a lot to learn. And they did. But you're going to have that. And so I just I just know that young people are going to make mistakes. I mean, old people make mistakes, but young people are going to make them as they learn. The question is, uh, you know, that we just see that as a part of the learning process.
0: Yeah. And uh, just to kind of pivot the conversation, I wanted to ask the space makers, the young people, when it comes to the generation gap, or whatever your feelings are about that, if you could wave a magic wand and fix one thing about that,
2: what would it be? What's well, a good question?
4: Well, I have an answer to this one. This is my moment. <laughs> I haven't been shy on this call so far, um, but because uh, everything that's been said is just incredible and I'm scared. But um, I think there is not a problem, but I think the way young people are treated at the moment is quite parental by the older generation. And I do not think it's like a categorical negative thing. I think it's not coming from a place of, you know, kind of restraining young people. Um, but I think that's kind of what ends up happening. Um, I don't want to use the word overbearing, um, but it is kind of the first thing that comes to mind, just very much like trying to protect the young people from everything that's going on, which obviously is a beautiful thing. And I understand, um, you know, the intention behind that. And I think even with a lot of conversations I'm having at the moment about, you know, let's say any kind of contemporary issues, um, one thing I hear a lot is, okay, like, can the young people handle talking about this? Um, Which obviously that's a very valid concern. but young people are confronted with these things at school, on social media, every day. Like, I feel like we sometimes don't get enough credit for kind of the things we face and the things that, um, yeah, we kind of just have to deal with, um, which, you know, that's fair. And I don't think that's, again, not a bad thing. I think that's just kind of a misunderstanding or like a miscalculation on uh, behalf of, you know, some people. Um, So I think I would love to um, just see like a more healthy balance of like, yes, take care of us and yes, guide us. But then also, you know, don't baby us, if that makes sense, because we do face these issues and we do um, have very like valid experiences with these things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, even... You know, here at the ICOC, um, we baptize often young teens, like 13-year-olds, and say, oh, you're an adult enough to make this decision to be a Christian and to live that walk of life and to choose that for yourself. But oftentimes, it's like, you know, they baptize us at 13 and then not treat us like adults. So it's like, if you're going to baptize us at 13, then then you think that we're old enough to be these Christians that... Um, you know, can actually live this walk of life, then treat us like it. You know, if we're going to be old enough to do this, then we're adults. Then treat us like adults.
2: Can I come? I got a comment on what Sebastian said. That's some fantastic stuff there, bro. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, My father made many mistakes with me. Uh, When I was growing up, he was very controlling, very harsh. He made a ton of mistakes. But in their family's culture, my family's culture, when you got married, that meant you were an adult and you were no longer their responsibility. And so it was like magic. When I got married at age 22, I was barely 22. When I got married at 22, my, my dad took off his father's hat and put on his friend's hat, and it was a done deal. It was fantastic. And our relationship from then on was adult to adult. There's a book written about different forms of communication, child to child. Uh, Then there's a parent to child, and then there's adult to adult. And the uh, relationship with your children, whether physically or, or spiritually, is moving from the parent to child to adult to adult. and as far as i'm concerned you guys are clearly adults there's no ifs ands or buts you're clearly adults so why would i try to relate to you like your kids you're not kids you're old enough to meet god and give an account for your life uh kids are those that aren't but you're not kids so that to me is a is a really big thing and as far as can people your age handle discussing whatever. It's kind of like I've had parents come up to me, you know, young parents. And, you know, my kid is so-and-so age. Uh, are, are they old enough yet to have uh, the talk about the birds and the bees, sex and all of that? And I'm thinking, gee, duh. They've been talking about this for the last five years in school, man. You're way late. Yep. And... It's that sort of thing that older people just are kind of clueless about sometimes. But the stuff you brought up there, Sebastian, I, well, we need help on that. You, you're going to end up me writing a book or something here. But uh, that that one, that one, that, that, that's full of stuff there. That's good stuff.
5: I just wanted to, like, piggyback off of what Sebastian said about how um, I think there's just a miscommunication about like what safety means, because I think we all want safety. And like, obviously, the older generation is, for lack of a better term, kind of parenting the younger generation, because they don't want us to go through what they went through. And so much of the older generation didn't grow up in the church, because they were converted, or um, they came from different churches, and they had all of these experiences. But so many people in around our age group, like grew up in this church, and were sheltered from the world. And so I feel like the older generation, probably an overgeneralization, but I think there's a common thread that they find safety in boundaries, and in kind of creating a bubble for themselves, because that keeps harm out. Whereas the younger generation, I feel like we find safety in unconditional love. And being able to make mistakes and figure things out and um, really provide acceptance for people. And that's what we feel is safe and boundaries and kind of insulating ourselves feels tone deaf. And it's not because it is, but it's because we are, we grew up in such a globalized community from such a young age that experiencing and hearing about other people's experiences is so um life altering for us like we we easily see things from perspectives that are not our own and so sheltering ourselves feels selfish in a way and it feels kind of um like I said a little tone deaf like we live in this world but we're no help to this world because we're just navigating in our little bubble so I think it's just kind of interesting how it's both of the intentions are the same, but the way that they translate is so different. Um, and that's one of the biggest differences I've seen in even conversations with my mom, where she's like, we just want to protect you guys so much. And I'm just like, okay, but we want freedom <laughs> but we want to do bad, but freedom to do good in the world. You know, so I think that was like one of the biggest differences I've seen um, and how I could see that. Um, Potentially changing our culture if we kind of accept that.
2: Well said. I think the difference is I mean, you mentioned the difference back in uh, the 70s when a lot of the campus ministry movement was getting started. You had two groups. You had people that had been raised in the church and had a pretty good idea of right and wrong. And then you had people coming in from the total world that had almost no concept of that. And so the boundaries got created, I think, for a group who, at that point, at least temporarily, needed them. But uh, the whole aim of discipling is not to think for someone, but to train them to think, because you can't be with them all the time. They have to be trained to think.
4: Discipling is a messy word that will have a different definition depending on who you ask. I believe that this is Gordon's intended definition. Discipling verb, the act of helping a fellow Christian act more
2: Christ-like. And so boundaries actually do have a place. You gotta have them for two year olds, or they run out in the street. Right. But by the time they're teenagers, uh you gotta be careful with the boundaries for teenagers. Yeah. You gotta train people to think and make decisions that are good decisions. But that's that's good stuff right there man that that's why i respect young people you guys are smart you've been to school your brains work all the time old guys watch too much tv <laughs>
6: um i think i just had a small small point you know i i keep thinking about like having these conversations with the older generation and i've had you know so many conversations and you know they usually actually go pretty well once i'm able to kind of explain and break it down and kind of For lack of a better term, kind of hold their hand through that. However, I think something that I've run into is that not everything is believed because of what Megan just beautifully said of like the different kinds of safety and experiences. And so I think that that translates even into my experience as like a Black woman in the church of being like, my experience is not always believed because. That is not how somebody else perceives my experience, if that makes sense. And I feel like this is with the younger generation of, you know, Jesus healed a blind man. But if Jesus didn't believe the blind man when he said, I'm blind, he wouldn't have healed him. You know what I mean? And so I keep thinking about that in the same terms of, you know, we say like, this is some church trauma that happened or, Hey, this is what didn't work for me as a teen, or this is how I perceived God growing up. And even if it's like, Oh, that's wrong. It's not always believed. And so therefore, because it's not always believed, there's not always a platform for young people to speak their mind, if that makes sense. Um, and so I think that Gordon, your concept of listening, to understand instead of listening just to state your opinion is something that is so, so valuable. And I think it's something that takes a lot of spiritual maturity um, to be able to um, want to actually listen to somebody's experiences that not only are not your own, but also might change the perspective of how you even see yourself and how you've done things. And I think that's something that is super hard. I was recently just talking to um, my own uh, church leaders um, and they, and I'm telling them, you know, this opinion, Jackie Marici says hi, by the way, um, and loves you, but I'm telling, you know, the opinions and, you know, I'm saying, you know, I, this is my experience in the church and, you know, my friend's experience and we're exposed to a lot of, you know, talk about what's happened and people leaving and they want to listen. The want to listen is there. The want to not perpetuate harm is there. But she had said, Janae, something that you have to understand and why it can be so hard for the older generation is that, you know, she said, I sold my convertible Mustang. We sold our house. We, you know, we gave up these, you know, high paying jobs, all of that for this church. And so when another younger generation comes and is saying, Hey, this is something that is wrong. You know, this is something that's been harmful. It can be hard to believe because we gave up everything for the church. And it's not that that is the correct way to you know, view the situation, but that's why it can be a little bit hard to hear things like that, you know? So I guess I just wanted to know what you thought about um, all of that.
2: Well, I, that's a very valid uh, thing. I'm, I, I know the reaches and uh, I do know the sacrifices and I know that many uh, leaders have made a lot of sacrifices and I appreciate that. On, on the other hand, Uh, I want to keep making them. And a part of continuing to make them is I've got to keep learning and I've got to be able to get inside other people's skins and walk in their shoes as much as I can possibly do it to understand. But that's that's an important piece there for for you guys to realize when you're talking to older people that have paid a lot of prices and done a lot of sacrificing and gone through their own stuff uh hearing criticism if it comes across as just blank criticism then that that's a problem but on the other on the other part of it the the thing that helps me most when i talk to young people and they say okay uh, i was talking to an older person or a leader or whatever and here's what they said the specific examples are what helps and uh, that's the same thing in the racial realm is uh, I, I want people to hear the stories. So you can say, well, you know, uh, people of color uh, are discriminated against. Uh, they get followed in stores, stereotyped, et cetera. Uh, rather than be general like that, I, have, I, I tell them, okay, here's what's happened to my friend who's black. Here's what happened to him the other day. Bam. It's hard to get around that. Enough of that starts sinking in. So specific examples to me are uh, really, really helpful. In fact, I, I talk to uh, black people all the time. And I, one of my openers with with the guys is, hey, uh, how many times you've been stopped for uh, uh, B, BWD? Uh, I mean, BWB, D-W-B, Driving While Black. And so I've asked many people, how many times you've been stopped for that? And they tell me, and they're surprised I ask, but they tell me. And they tell me specific times that things took place. And then I repeat those. And so uh, just so that you know this is real, here is what happened to a good friend of mine. And I'll guarantee you, if he had been white, that would not have happened. And so uh, specific examples. And so when, when you tell me as a young person, here's what I've experienced, then, OK, that that starts weighing in that this is real. I'm not young. It doesn't happen to me, but they're saying it happens and I believe them. And so that begins then to weigh on me and to open up my mind and heart to what people are saying.
0: Yeah, this is so good. This has all been so good. Yeah. Um... So it's kind of crazy because these are things that are so near and dear to our hearts here at Space Makers. We, I mean, what brought us together in the first place was the fact that we were having conversations just like this about kind of the good, the bad, the ugly of being a Christian, a young Christian today. Um, Conversations with not only us, but people everywhere and just hearing very similar things. And I just really appreciate you, Gordon, for, you know, having taking the time out of your day to have this conversation with us and for wanting to listen to us. Um, So for me, if I were to wave a a magic wand, I would like to kind of remove the stigma of age, race, class, et cetera, and have conversations like this more where everyone is mutually respected. I just I don't know. I just wish I could call up like every leader or even just person older than me and that they would listen to me as if I was their absolute peer and equal. And I, I could, you know, feel like they could, they want to hear me just as much as I want to hear them. Um, but that's not always the case, but that's my big hope and my big prayer that, You know, can we just remove all those things that divide us and can we just listen and respect and love no matter what kind of person you are and have conversations like this where there's no barriers of race, of age, of status, all those things. And I just, I want people to listen to even this podcast and this episode and see that they can start having these conversations themselves. You know, you don't have to be afraid to go talk to somebody older that you respect. That you know, you see their name on a bookshelf and you're intimidated by them, because you can have a conversation with them because you're a person and they're a person, and hopefully, they'll respect you. Um, obviously, we can't guarantee that, but I think we should always just try and not stop trying and not stop trying to meet people where they're at and build those bridges and trying to, you know, make space for those conversations. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's my big hope. And Gordon, um, before we sign off here, is there anything else that you would like to add?
2: No, I, I just appreciate the opportunity. You know, it dawned on me uh, what it was like, you know, when I was young, et cetera. When I was young and first started preaching, uh, I was invited to speak a lot in a lot of places. And it was kind of odd that I got to do as many things as I did as a pretty young guy, and I got some resistance from some older people, some older leaders. And I I thought to myself, you know, uh, I I believe then what I believe about the apostles being young and you know, my philosophy hasn't changed. But when I was young, I said, when I get older, I will never view young people like these old dudes view me, because I think young people are bright. I think they think, I think they think out of the outside the box. That's the biggest concern. I mean, that's the problem is we get in a box and we can't get out of the crazy thing. I like people that are out of the box. They may be wrong about something, but at least they're out of the box and then we can talk about it, but we get comfortable in the boxes and, uh, Uh, That's why I like diversity is because we got all kinds of different ways and experiences and we put all that together. But I'm like you. I mean, to me, the age thing doesn't matter one bit. The color thing doesn't matter one bit. I treasure all of that because it gives us God's creation and diversity that allows us to get a bigger picture and that therefore to do a lot better job and reaching a world that's diverse? How are we gonna reach a world with young and old and black and white and rich and poor and educated non-educated, and, and all of the other differences between us? How are we gonna reach a world like that unless we have a common denominator of being made in the image of God? And so therefore we're all on equal ground. We're all a bunch of sinners too. So we're on equal ground at the foot of the cross. And All the other stuff is fluff, in a sense. I mean, it it isn't the big issue. The big issue is who we are in God's image and who we are in Christ. That's the common ground that we share, and it has nothing to do with all that other stuff. So I will write some. you spurred me on.
0: Well, there you have it, folks. We are so incredibly grateful that we have older people like Gordon to learn from and learn with. But as we close out, we want to also provide you with some tools that we hope can be helpful for your journey, whatever age you are. For more from our good friend, Gordon, check out his blog, gordonferguson.org for his thoughts on Bible, theology, and church issues. Also, check out his blog on racial issues, black tax, and white benefits, as well as his wide collection of amazing books. My personal favorite is called The Victory of Surrender. For another great resource to learn more about generational issues in church, check out our friend Michael Burns. He has a podcast based on a book he wrote with the same title called All Things to All People. He has a couple great episodes on the generation gap, but we highly recommend episode 30, The Culture Gap Between Generations, and episode 31, Why Younger Generations Are Leaving the Church. These episodes, along with the article Gordon wrote about the youth, are linked in the show notes. If you have any resources of your own you'd like to suggest, please let us know. As always, if you have any episode ideas, questions, or want to stay up to date on releases and such, follow our Instagram at spacemakers.podcast or email us at spacemakers.podcast at gmail.com. That's it for today, folks. Stay tuned for the next episode coming out in two weeks.